Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Patrick Kilcar will join us to discuss emotional intelligence. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, emotional intelligence. How can we develop it? And joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Patrick Kilcar. Dr. Kilcar has been the director of Georgetown University's Center for Personal Development since 1989. He has written extensively on emotional intelligence, addiction, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, where he co-authored an award-winning book, Voices from Fatherhood. He has penned the new book, Leading an Emotionally Intelligent Life, expanding your EI to make courageous decisions and transform your life. Dr. Kilcar, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it is certainly a pleasure. Certainly a great book you've put together here, Leading an Emotionally Intelligent Life. You talk a lot about the ways that you can utilize EI. Why you decided to put this book together? Well, it goes back to what you said right in the beginning. You know, we all are looking for something that's going to make a difference. I think for mental health professionals and coaches, there's always this probably unsaid hope of finding some kind of a holy grail that's really going to make a difference with either the patients, clients, or whoever it is that we see. And about 12 years ago, I attended a workshop looking at this notion of the EQI, which was looking at these 15 competencies that every one of us live out of every day with regards to emotional intelligence. And I was sitting in that workshop and listening to what was going on And hearing these 15 competencies described, like from self-regard to optimism, assertiveness, things that would make complete sense to all of us, but how they were unfolding and how this person that was presenting was kind of talking about the importance of it in our life didn't feel like the Holy Grail. It certainly felt, though, that this is something important and it could make a difference. It could be one of the spokes in the wheel, if you will, clinically with regard to the people that I see. Do you think that it's now beginning to gain more attention and one of the thrusts of the book here? Oh, it is a thrust of the book, and it's a great question because it's out there, but when you read about emotional intelligence, there isn't this necessary place that everybody comes to agreement on. It's a little bit amorphous. For me, however, I think it comes down to emotional intelligence is understanding how emotions operate in our lives personally. So Patrick Kilcar, understanding how emotion operates in my life and what's the impact of that emotion on the people around me, on my relationships, and what is their emotion, what is that that impact like on me? I mean, that's the essence of emotional intelligence. How do we navigate what's going on emotionally? And look, we all live very stressful lives to a degree. There's always something going on. There's always some kind of trigger pulling at us. How we manage it, how we understand it, how we navigate it, I think is more and more each day important. The landscape of emotional intelligence is multifaceted in many ways. Are there areas where they fall within this landscape in terms of their emotional intelligence? Yes, exactly. So if somebody takes the EQI 2.0, which is an instrument talked about in the book, that from that comes these 15 competencies, again, that we all live out of every day. 
you, you look at these 15 competencies, and the way I describe it, it's like an MRI of where we are socially and emotionally at this moment in time. And we look at it and decide, are there areas within the way we're living our life emotionally that we would like to shift or change? Are there areas in our life that we really thrilled or as strong as they are? And are there some that may be actually too strong? For instance, if, if my top score, if you will, with the competencies is assertiveness, it may suggest that it's an overused strength. So instead of really being assertive, in many ways, when I'm interacting with people, it could border on aggressiveness based on what's going on emotionally. Learning about emotional intelligence, these competencies, really will highlight areas where we underdevelop, harder to develop your weaknesses specifically. Yes. You know, that's exactly it. And that's why, kind of going back to that time when I first saw the EQI, it suggested to me that there's a way for us to, to, again, to have a snapshot of where we are and along with everything else going on in our life, be able to make a decision that, you know, these are areas that if I strengthen, either if I bring it down a notch or if I increase it a notch, it's going to make a difference in my life. And, and I'll give you an example that a young woman came into my office a couple years ago and she was sitting in my office and she was talking about her life. She was talking about the fact that she has really good friends. She feels very much dedicated to her friendships in her life, but something was missing. So after she took the EQI, page four on the EQI from the comprehensive feedback report, I was looking at the 15 competencies. And for some people, it would be just a bunch of numbers, maybe some stronger than other. But for me, it begins to kind of tell a narrative story. And I'm looking at it. And this is a woman whose emotional expression in her life was very low. Her awareness of what was going on with her emotionally was very high. Her ability to kind of withstand stress was extremely high, and her social responsibility competency was extremely high. So what does that really mean? Well, what it meant was that she was able to step back and realize she would give and give and give to her relationships and her friendships, bear the burden of everything that was going on without friends or people around her really being aware of her needs. So she was aware of her needs, but she didn't really talk about it with friends. So she felt like this welcome mat that everybody was walking over. And when she looked at that, you could see her eyes just kind of filled with tears. And I asked her what was going on. And she said, you know, for the first time, I'm really seeing exactly what's been unfolding in my life. Now, could we get to that at some other way or at some other point clinically? Yes, you would hope so, right? But that piece of being able to put together these disparate things that are happening in her life, yet connected, these, these competencies, really allowed her to shift gears and tack into a very different wind in her life socially and otherwise, and emotionally. Do you find this is generally the case when uh, individuals have this mapped out for them, that they see their landscape of emotional intelligence and aha moment? Great question, because yes. You know, it varies for people. Some people are in a place where they really want to change and they want to make things different and they're willing to do what it takes to make it happen. And others of us may not be so. Those moments, though, in the book, you know, the leading an emotion intelligent life, you know, as you were talking about, there are all of these different stories. And the stories, are, you know, they're ordinary people, which to me felt like doing extraordinary things. And what they did, these are people that going back to your question, they kind of took that aha moment of, I don't want to be in this place in my life. 
And they decided to take this map, if you will, that was given to them, this social and emotional map, and begin to really do things differently to create the kind of reality they wanted. And in, in some ways, maybe believe they never could have. We all try daily to do the things that are in our best interest, and it doesn't always work out the way we want. Or we all know what would make all of us pretty happy, and yet for reasons that, that are kind of leave us wanting, we don't do it. So knowing isn't doing. And with this kind of map, if you will, it can offer people an opportunity to kind of follow it in a way that may make sense and take them closer to the kind of life they want to live day to day. There are struggles on the way. And what have you found are kind of the biggest terms of people implementing those changes that they would like to implement in their lives? Yeah, another great question. The struggles are bedded in us as we grow. And all of us listening at this moment can kind of step back and evaluate to what degree do we really tell ourselves things that are generally negative? Do we see things negatively? Do we do things that we like yet we don't fully engage it because if something goes wrong or something changes, it's going to be painful and we're not going to do it? A lot of what I do with regard to the emotional intelligence piece is invite people to really look at what they tell themselves because what we tell ourselves is absolutely vital in how we feel and what we do, in the degree of courage we feel we have moment to moment, and certainly in the risks that we're going to take in our life. So you're exactly right. To what extent have you found that these aspects are malleable, changeable, and are are some individuals just predisposed to domains of their uh, amenable change? They, They are. They are. They're every single piece of what the EQI talks about. And I think There are a number of different assessments out there on emotional intelligence, and what these point to, they are amenable to change for all of us. It's that piece of do we believe it, and not only do we believe it, but do we believe we deserve to have that kind of life, a life that is far more predictable, a life where things aren't going off the road, that where we don't feel like we're just stuck grinding gears. It starts with being able to give ourselves permission, honestly, Charles, to live the life that we want. And it's shocking the number of people that don't, regardless of age, really regardless of ability. There's this thing that goes on within us that you can't see it and often you can't articulate it, but it holds us back from being the person we're most capable of being in the world. And I know it sounds a little highfalutin, it sounds a little large. It truly is, though, that piece where people are able to see what's possible in their life and that their parents aren't holding them back, their spouse is not holding them back, their job is not holding them back, nothing is holding them back, but probably now the way they think, to realize that those thoughts can be shifted and changed and that socially and emotionally they can truly get what they want in this world, it's it's remarkable. And that's kind of what's in the book. You see these ordinary people like you and me and everybody else that all of a sudden say, you know what, I am not going to live on the fringes of what's possible anymore. As this has been implemented in the individuals that you've dealt with, where have you seen it become most prevalent? Again, facilitate other people in their goals and their needs. But the piece to it, and I'm glad you're bringing this up, that the EQI 2.0 is largely a tool used for corporate America and the world of higher education meaning it goes in and a lot of different people take it, maybe that are in the same department, on the same teams, working within the same groups. 
they see where their emotional intelligence is. They spend a little bit of time talking about it. And then the puddle kind of fills back in over time. What you're talking about, the way I use it is different. This is not a clinical tool. The EQI 2.0 literally is, is for the classroom and the, and the boardroom. It's not a clinical tool. And a number of years ago, I just, by happenstance, used it with a client and began to see that there were these pretty amazing shifts fairly quickly in using the tool. And was that just a one-off? I began to see no, that when you have the EQI 2.0, if you're using it in the classroom or you're using it in corporate America, usually you get about 45 minutes in a telephonic interview with whoever is teaching the EQI 2.0 course. And what you're talking about are your results, the results of the EQI 2.0. In the book I talk about, it's like being in a Ferrari, which I never can say I have been, but it's like being in a Ferrari and never taking it out of first gear. The power of the tool, it can't be utilized in that setting because the, the facilitators of the workshops and so forth, they don't have the time to spend with everybody going through the, the tool. But in this situation, we do. And we can, they take the tool, and then once the information's there, we can refer to it, expand it, play around with it for as long as I'm able to see that individual in therapy. And that's the big difference, is that it's, it's actually, it's not a clinical tool at all. What's been the most surprising thing to you in terms of the EQI tool? But for me, so... I'm a master trainer in emotional intelligence. I'm connected to MHS Multi-Health Systems, and MHS owns the EQI tool. And the, the piece to me that was flooring, and every time I use it, Charles, it's exactly the same kind of thing. The amount of time that I'm able to spend with someone individually, so clinically, and, and, and if somebody chooses to, to take the instrument, it's amazing to see what happens with it over time. I mean, if you read the book, you'll read some, you know, each chapter has different aspects of emotional intelligence and change and so forth. But for me to see the shifts and changes in people that really wanted to get behind moving toward their ability and their potential, once they, once they were able to see what was possible with these 15 competencies, I mean, every time I use it, every time I, I sit with somebody over time and do it, it, it's stunning to see what can happen with it. And again, I'm not saying this is the be-all and end-all of tools that are out there to be used and the holy grail. But for me and the way I think about change and the way I think about what's possible, it just feels like it, it's a wonderful asset to have in my relationship with clients. I'm curious if people want to learn more about this, where can they go? They can go to the EI Life, it's all just one, the E-I-L-I-F-E, the EILife.com, which is my website, or they can just kill carp, K-I-L-C-A-R-R-P, at georgetown.edu. Please send me a note. Anybody who has experience with this tool in this way or similar tools, I'd love to hear about it. And, you know, because in the bottom line is when I'm able to talk with individuals like you, Charles, or people that are out there on the cutting edge, talking about things within the world of science or that are within the world of technology, you begin to hear people talk about things that they're getting excited about or around the way I'm kind of excited around the EQI. And it's through this kind of exposure, and I, I deeply want to thank you for it. What is your vision then for the future of emotional intelligence, and how do you see it transforming society? Well, 
I don't know about transforming society. That would be a wonderful thing, and that, that would probably say it may be the holy grail. It's more, though, that the EQI 2.0 right now is, is really for the corporate, it's for the corporate world, corporate America, organizations, higher ed. But I'd love to begin doing trainings of people that are coaches, mental health professionals, to begin to look at it and think about it more in the way that I've been able to or fortunate to be able to see it more as this map and to be able to guide people toward looking at these competencies in a way of moving toward their therapeutic goals quicker. And that's the idea, to get people into and out of a clinical setting as, as quickly as possible where they're tacking into their own particular social and emotional world that they want. We were talking with Dr. Patrick Kilcar. He is the author of the new book, Leading an Emotionally Intelligent Life, Expanding Your EI to Make Courageous Decisions and Transform Your Life. Dr. Kilcar, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Charles, you're wonderful. I appreciate every bit of it. Stay safe. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking. Bye.